Hello and welcome to the St Mark's podcast. Whether you regularly join us at church on Sundays or you're joining us for the very first time, we hope that this week's talk inspires you and draws you closer to Jesus. This morning's reading is from Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 to 18. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Thanks be to God. So before Matt speaks to us this morning, could we all just put your hands out as I pray for him, please? Father, we thank you that you called Matt to serve here in Great Grimsby. Lord, help Matt to be faithful to your word and what you want him to talk to us about on this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Oh, thank you, Shane. Well, look, what a great day. What a great way to celebrate new life than through baptism. That's my real privilege to be able to be a part of the process. And for those I didn't catch at the very beginning, um, my name's Matt, as Shane said, I'm Vicar here at St. Mark's. And it's just been such a joy seeing uh, people coming to faith, uh, coming to know God better, and seeing life break out. Some of you will be familiar with uh, baptism, the symbolism of it, the words. Maybe you've been to christening. Some of you will be looking at the, the dish, I'll move now, or, or the pool of water and thinking, this is so surreal. What is this all about? And you're sitting there thinking, this is a strange Sunday morning, not the usual. And I can understand that. I mean, we all we we'll have times and we've had new experiences and we're just trying to work out what's going on. The other week I took our eldest son, Josiah, to the uh, cinema. He's six. And it was the first time he's actually been to the cinema. We went to Parkway in Cleethorpes. And we went and watched uh, the Wonka movie, which I thoroughly enjoyed. Uh, quite like chocolate. Um, and when we got home, he described in quite great detail the highlights of his first cinema experience. And his talking points were really the chairs that flipped up when you stood up, um, the question, why are there so many adverts? And finally, to make the point that Daddy kept eating all the popcorn. And I thought, we went to watch a movie. Cannot remember a thing about the movie, but the whole experience was new for him. And I'm hoping next time that the experience might allow him to focus a bit more on the movie. But baptism, let me explain a little more about this new experience. Baptism, quite simply, is an outward, a physical sign of what God has already done in the heart and in the mind of a person. God has gifted uh, Samantha and Lisa, uh, children, this gift of faith, a gift of faith, and they've each made a decision to follow Jesus for themselves. For parents and godparents, they have made a commitment to bring the children up in the life of the faith, baptized family, if you like. 
For the adults, they've made that decision for themselves. Something has happened. They've had this encounter with the living God, and they've said, I want to be baptized. I want to mark that as an outward sign of belonging to Christ and his church. That's the the why of baptism. But you might be wondering, well, what about the, the what of baptism? What's the water and all this ceremony got to do with it? Well, firstly, water's symbolic of being washed clean. If you have a bath, you go into the water a little bit grubby. You might need to exert a little bit of effort to actually get clean. But it's a symbol of being washed clean and being made pure and blameless. That's not what happens when you have a, a bath. But spiritually, that's what's happening when you are baptized in the water. Take a look at the big pool just here. Come and have a little dunk in it later if you want to. The person who's being baptized climbs into the pool just as they are. What we might call the old self goes into the pool. The old self is grubby, simply because in life we mess things up. None of us are perfect. We all get things wrong. We all think things wrong, say things wrong, do things wrong, some of us more than others. And we do things that hurt God, that hurt other people and hurt ourselves. If if you've got a pulse, you're a human being, you can probably relate to that. And no matter how hard we try, we simply cannot fix that broken human condition. But there was one person who was without need of that bath, one person who did live the perfect life, a person who was actually without fault, without sin, and that was Jesus. Jesus himself, being God, gave up his divine privileges as God, his God status, if you like, and died a humiliating death on a cross, which was a punishment. I mean, if you know anything about Roman history, crucifixion wasn't just for Jesus, it was punishment for the worst offenders. But Jesus didn't get punished because of a crime he had committed or because he had done anything wrong. Jesus died in the place of people who had failed God, failed neighbor, failed themselves. He died in the place of sinful people. In other words, he was a substitute. If you like football, you know what a substitute is. They, they step in. Jesus stepped in. And his substitution actually cleared the debt of the failings of everyone he died for. He, he actually cleared the debt of all the failures that I've clocked up in my life and that you've clocked up and that everyone else besides has clocked up. And he died with all that sin. So that sin on the cross actually died a death. Sin died a death and it lost its power because the debt was cleared. There was nothing left to pay. And he was taken down, Jesus, from that cross and he was laid in a tomb. Goes in a grave. And it looked final. It looked like the end. Dead. Back to our baptism pool. In our candidates go into the pool. They go backwards into the water. The old self goes into the grave with Jesus. Down they go into the grave with Jesus, the old self. Back to Jesus' death on that cross. On the third day after his death, the Bible tells us, as had been foretold, Jesus was raised back from the dead. He came out of that grave, back to the pool. Those who were baptized today, Lisa and Samantha, you can thank me later. We didn't have to wait for three days to pass before I pulled you back again out of the water. But they came up instantly, symbolic of being raised back to new life with Christ. They shared in his death, and the old self went in, and they came back in his life, cleansed, washed, pure, blameless. They can now have a relationship 
with a living God, the God they couldn't know fully before because they were separated by their human condition, the condition we all face, our sin. You know, it's a beautiful picture of old life dies, new life in Christ. But we can look at it and we think it's all symbolic. It's all symbolic of the Christian life and what Christianity means and so forth. But it's more than that. It's actually an experience, an experience of living life with the resurrected Jesus. And it's available to each of us right now. That relationship with Jesus that Lisa's given testimony to, Samantha's given testimony to, is made real to us by the presence of God with us. That's the Holy Spirit that we're singing about. That's the presence of God, the Holy Spirit, the gifted Holy Spirit. And today marks the beginning of a new start, the next step in the journey, a new life in Christ. And what they'll want to know, those who have been baptized, is, well, what can I do to make the most of this new beginning? Give me some tips on living this life. Because things in our life, I mean, Lisa's done the work for me here. Things in our life change when we come to a relationship with Jesus. Our whole life starts to change for the better. We become like a radiant light shining out in the darkness. It's like a light comes on and we start to shine out in the world around us. Let me just ask you this morning, are you living your best life? Are you shining out? Is there something radiant about you? I don't know about you, but I can see that on the face of Lisa and Samantha. I can see something has changed. For those of you who know them better than I do, you may have seen, yeah, there's something's happened here. There's this radiance. Is that you? If I may, I'd just like to take uh, just a few moments to touch on the reading that was taken from um, the Scriptures. Nay read it's from a, a book called Philippians in the New Testament in the Bible. It was written by a guy called the Apostle Paul. Uh, it was after Jesus had, had raised from the dead and ascended into heaven. And he's writing to a church there to encourage them. And they're his friends. He's speaking to them as his friends. And what he wants to do is point people to the life of Jesus. He says, I want you to live a better life. He says, I want you to shine out. But I don't want you to do it in your own strength. I want you to look at the example of the risen Jesus because he changes lives. And he urges them to take responsibility for their lives and to take responsibility in their attitude to the world around them. Because living the Christian life then and today is distinctly different to what we see in the values in the world around us. And how we live is noticed. People know you're a Christian they're going to look at you and they're going to judge you more harshly. They're going to want to know, firstly, does this make a difference in your life? And secondly, what difference does it actually make to those around us? Is it actually worth it? Otherwise, it looks like a bit of a slog. Basically, if we live in God's purposes for our lives, we will start to point other people to Jesus. We touch on these new responsibilities that we're told to have don't know about you, but that word responsibility fills me with a bit of fear. I suddenly start to panic because I think it sort of has these negative connotations. Like, if I'm told to take responsibility for something, I'm almost certainly going to mess things up. But I'm sure it's not just me. This idea of taking responsibility seems to be a struggle for all of humankind. And it has been from the very beginning. The beginning of the Bible in a book called Genesis, there's a guy called Adam. And Adam failed to take responsibility for his actions. He ate this 
Forbidden fruit. So he was told, you can eat from any tree in this Garden of Eden, but there's one you can't eat from. What does he do? He does the one thing he's told not to do. He eats from this forbidden fruit. What does he do? He passes the buck. He points the finger at Eve and says, she did it. Can't take responsibility. What does Eve do? She turns to the serpent, this, this, this devil, and she says, he told me to. Can't take responsibility for it. And sure, the serpent probably had some sway in tempting them to eat that forbidden fruit, but ultimately they failed to take responsibility for their actions and for their own lives. And the Apostle Paul urges us to do something about it. He says, take responsibility for your actions and for your own lives. And he uses another word that can fill us with fear and we feel is unpopular. This word, obey. He says, I want you to obey. Obedience. At this point, we might start to picture the Apostle Paul. He's like a Victorian grandfather. He's sitting there, you need to obey. You need to follow the rules. You need to do what's being laid out for you. Instead, he's not saying that. He's saying, if we obey God's plan and purposes for our life, we'll become more like Jesus. This isn't about religious rules. This is about freedom in Christ. Taking responsibility to live this life will ultimately lead us to a better life today and into eternity. You know, there's a, an incredible picture of true, pure obedience in the Bible. It is in the example of Jesus. What was Jesus' purpose? Why did Jesus actually come to this earth? Well, it's what we've seen modeled in baptism. And let me just read a good one-liner from the Gospel of Matthew 20, 28. It says this, The Son of Man, that's Jesus, did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And Jesus was obedient to that call. He came and gave his life as a substitute, as a ransom, as a servant. God came as a servant. It's crazy. That's what Jesus did. He was obedient to that call. And so if we ever think, well, God doesn't know what we have to go through as Christians, and the battles we face, and the tests we face, and the trials we face. How can God call us to be obedient? Well, then we can know this, that God will never ask us to do more than he has done. He'll never ask you to die on a cross for the sins of humanity. That's already been done. Jesus already paid the highest price so we don't have to. But he will ask us to die to the old self and to come to life with him. Those crazy words of Jesus. He asks us to die to my way of doing things, to my life. He says, trust me, put that to death, come to life in me, do things my way. You know, the appropriate response to Jesus' sacrifice on our behalf, his substitution, is to imitate his obedience and to, as the Apostle Paul puts it, work out our salvation. That's what Paul says in verse 12 of our passage. Continue to work out your salvation. What does that mean, salvation? It sounds like a bit of religious jargon. Let me put it in a simple term. It simply means work out your freedom. When I was a child, I still am really, we used to play this really silly game with my dad. He'd sit in his armchair, and it was called the grip. And it basically involved scurrying around his legs until the grip came out and sort of grabbed us and held us captive until we could wiggle and scream and get ourselves out of the grip. And we'd be doing this and we'd be set free 
and then we'd go and do it again because the grip was quite fun. And we'd just repeat it over and over again. But in real life, we can be subject to the grip. Things that hold us captive, that stop us having freedom. It's not a game, it really messes with us. And when the Apostle Paul says, work out your freedom, it's a reminder that we have been saved by Jesus, set free once and for all, to live a life in freedom, where we're no longer held captive by guilt. We're no longer held captive by the feelings of shame we feel about ourselves, about addiction we might be caught up in, about our fear of death, and much more besides. What is it you feel gripped by? Jesus came that you might be set free from that grip, to be your true self, to be the person God's called you to be. But the greatest freedom that we get to enjoy, and for Lisa and for Sam, for the children, the greatest mark of freedom is this title we're given, children of God. You are children of God. Romans 8, 21 tells us to enjoy the glorious freedom of the children of God. In our new life, we enjoy this new freedom in the presence of our loving Heavenly Father. He is a perfect Father. He has space for us in His wonderful kingdom. I can remember working a Saturday job. I worked in a cafe in a department store when I was uh, 17. And I remember being given access, the keys, to the storeroom downstairs. And downstairs in the storeroom, it was full of cake, which is dangerous if you know me, and it was full of sweets, and it was full of uh, drinks and loads of other wonderful things. But with this great freedom to have the key came great responsibility, and that was to not go downstairs and start helping myself to um, the, the, snacks, the, the snacks in the storeroom down there. And it can feel like an amazing freedom to be called children of God, to be set free from the things that gripped us, to be washed clean. And, and and, and Lisa and Samantha are going to go home and be like, wow, here we go. And do you know what? They're going to face the same trials and temptations and battles that everyone else faces. But they have got this new reality, this new lived experience that they are set free. They are forgiven. But they need to work out their freedom. They're going to need to work out how to start living and shining brightly. They're going to need to know that when they mess things up, they come back to their loving Heavenly Father to receive again the reminder that they are forgiven and free. What an amazing feeling. Just wanted to point out, the Apostle Paul does not say, work for your freedom. He doesn't say, work for your freedom. He doesn't say, start getting religious on us. He says, work out your freedom. Your freedom has been gifted to you. So what then for the children of God? We're called to be pure and blameless, he says, in contrast to the world. My, one of my favorite verses in all scripture was in our reading. It's in verse 15. Then you will shine among them, shine out in the world. You will shine out among them like stars in the sky. What a picture. As you go about your day-to-day -day life, you will shine like stars in the sky. That's more exciting than watching them get dunked today. What's exciting is watching them burn with the love of God out there in the world around them. There's a man called John Chrysostom. He was Archbishop of Constantinople in the fourth century. He said this, if but 10 among us lead a holy life, we shall kindle a fire 
which shall light up an entire city. If but 10 of us among us lead a holy life, this baptized life, this working out our freedom, this burning as a light, then we shall kindle a fire that shall light up an entire city. Just imagine what would happen to the darkness around us if we took seriously Paul's words to take responsibility for our actions and our lives, for those who have come for baptism today, and for each of us who have renewed our baptism vows today and renewed that commitment to Christ, saying no to the old life of sin, saying yes to the new life we've been given, choosing to live differently as we head back into our workplaces, into our colleges, our households, our neighborhoods. Imagine if we lived that different, set-apart, holy life. We'll light up Grimsby. We'll light up Northeast Lincolnshire. We'll light up more than a room. If 10 of us pursue the way of Christ, if we resolve to live differently. What does Paul say? He says, you do this, you do this. It will bring me so much joy. It is my joy, as Vicar here, as part of our team, to see people growing in faith. It's even more of a joy to know that we're gathered this morning, but you're about to be scattered out there as a light shining out in a dark world. That brings so much joy. At the end of the service, we're going to send our baptism candidates, the adults and the children, with a candle. And we'll be praying over them this prayer. Walk in this light all the days of your life. That's the prayer. And better still, they'll be going here as lights, as stars shining out in the sky. John Wesley, you may have heard of him. John Wesley was an Anglican priest, and he was known for gathering huge crowds, often just outside churches. And then he would preach to the crowds who came to him that they might come to faith, new life in Christ. When he was asked how he managed to gather such crowds, how do you do that? How do you get all these people to listen to you? He answered with this. He said, I set myself on fire and people come to watch me burn. And that's my prayer for you, Lisa. My prayer for Samantha and Ivy and Edward and Bluebell. That you would burn so brightly with the love of God as you live this greater life, having encountered this amazing love of God. So that working in the power of the Holy Spirit and not in your own strength, you would be a part of seeing a greater Grimsby and beyond. That's the Holy Spirit that's been promised to each one of us, that we might burn and others may encounter the life-transforming love of God. I'd love to pray that over us now. I'm going to ask if you're able to, whether you'd stand. We're going to stand together and we're just going to pray. There's an ancient prayer of the church. It's been prayed for centuries. It's so simple, yet so effective. Because it does away with our need to sort it all out. It invites the presence of the living God to come and to minister to us. And that's just the prayer I'd love to pray over us, this ancient prayer of the church. And I'm, all I'm going to do is, when I pray, I just put my hands out, and I just do that because I see it as like um, receiving a gift, like a present. A present's given to me, I put my hands out, I'm like, I'd like that, rather than like, no thanks. And I'm just saying, if you're open today, if you're, if you're open, and you're like, okay, 
If this is, if this is, if there's something to this, and God is real, and he really sees me and loves me, then I'll be up for receiving that. Then if you want to, just why don't you put your hands out? It's not magic. It's not like a formula. But let's just pray, and then let's just wait in, in the quiet. So we pray. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit.